Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PursuitsGrowRoom.com. This week's interview is with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, who returns to the show for a live Q&A. It was, he's obviously not live now. And also on this episode, we have Joanne Griffith. She's been a guest on the show a couple of times as well. Her son, Ben, suffers with autism and epilepsy, and she obviously has some great questions for Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. So I thought it would be a good idea to get her on the show. And she was kind enough to join us and ask some questions on behalf of the mothers out there who have children who suffer with epilepsy and autism. Dr. Goldstein gives loads of great answers. This is a really good interview full of great information. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find the information useful yourself. But for now, here is the interview with Dr. Goldstein. And I'll speak to you at the end. See you in a bit. Thank you I'm again good. for joining us. Sure, no problem. So have you, you've been on a show already as well today, right? You were doing something earlier? Oh, I did a uh, presentation of my latest research. Oh, cool. Is there any spoiler alert? Or do you want to tell people where they can go and see that? Um, so I was a journal club for a group called Society of Cannabis Clinicians. It's a, like a professional society, but anybody can join. Uh, it's a wonderful group. It's where, you know, uh, physicians who are in the cannabis space get together and share the latest research, um, you know, just any information. So there's journal clubs, there's um, other events, as well as um, on their website, they have a uh, uh, educational uh, program, which I did the module for epilepsy, but there's just wonderful uh, modules. So if you want to educate yourself on the endocannabinoid system and on physiology and on cannabinoids and all of that, it's a wonderful um, educational program that they offer. And um, we were asked to present uh, myself and uh, the researcher that I um, joined uh, to do, re uh, and we, we've published a paper in December on uh, using uh, salivary, so collected by saliva, uh, biomarkers to measure response to medical cannabis in children with autism. And we collected so much data that we also have another paper coming out from the same research in March, I think awesome. March 27th. So yeah, very exciting. The, the reason we did the research was because everybody's saying anecdotal reports, and you guys have heard this over and over, are mm. not evidence, right? So just mm -hmm. because a parent says their child is doing better, I mean, I trust parents to tell me because when the child's not doing better, they tell me so. Um, and then, you know, we try to work changing products or dosing or whatever to get a good result. This actually uses um, biofluid of saliva to measure biomarkers and how they responded to medical cannabis treatment. And what we found was that many of the children had what's called cannabis responsive biomarkers that were out of the physio physiologic uh, range or like the normal range hmm. and medical cannabis corrected that. So we did a saliva sample before they took their morning dose and about an hour and a half to two hours after their morning dose. And we were able to compare and we had a group of controlled children without autism. So we had a range 
that would be considered what we call the physiologic range, where those biomarkers should land. And again, all the, many of the kids with autism had biomarkers out of the range that when they took their cannabis at the peak effect, it corrected it back down towards, shifted the biomarkers towards the physiologic range. And it correlated with behavioral surveys that the parents also filled out at the time. So it was very interesting research and mm. it's available online and it's free. I'd be happy to send you the link and you can share with your people. Yeah, sure. If you want to drop that in the Zoom chat, I think you'd be able to do that. And oh, I can, I can do that. Sure. And I can put that into the uh, the YouTube de- chat then as well. Yeah, okay, I but, can do that. But don't check it out now, everybody, because we're live with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein and we want to <laughs> ask questions. So don't go there yet. Go there after the show. <laughs> right. But yeah, thank you very much again for joining us. I know we understand that you must be very busy and to come back and be, be here to answer questions for some of our listeners. It's very cool. We massively appreciate it. So thank you very much again, doctor. That's uh, my pleasure. We have with us in the, well, we'll quickly introduce ourselves again. I mean, I'm Mackie and uh, Monkey was here last time. So you want to say hi, Monkey? Hi, Dr. Goldstein. Good to see you again. Hi. And then we have GB, who's a panel member of the show. You want to say hi, GB? Hi, um, Dr. Bonnie. Um, GB here from Ireland. I, I oh, hi. Time. Hi there. Nice to meet you. And also joining us today, we have Joanne Griffiths, who is she's been on the show before, but she's not a a panel member. She's a guest we've had on the show. Her son, Ben, has autism and epilepsy. Well, he has epilepsy. I'm not sure about autism. Joanne, you want to say hi? Hi. (laughs) Nice to. uh, I have been on a Zoom with you before, actually, Bonnie. Oh, hi. It's nice to see you again. (laughs) Yeah, and you. Cool. So you, you two have spoke before then? Um, yeah, on a, 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 another, like a parent one that uh, Bonnie did somewhere cool. else, yeah. So you yeah. do this kind of thing a lot then, Bonnie? I do. I try to help is, you know, and share information. Look, the only way that we're going to move forward is to share uh, our findings and to educate people. There, I am one of the... Although people say, oh, you're so, such a pioneer and all this. I'm a very conservative physician. I, am, I take my oath of do no harm very seriously. Mm-hmm. And my colleagues in the medical field continue to have a lot of fear around using cannabis as medicine. And I think part of it just comes from, I'm not calling people ignorant, but just ignorance of what we have found over the past two decades. We're all wallowing in the research that was anti-cannabis back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? Mm -hmm, And that mm -hmm. kind of is really deep in the medical community. And the last two decades, those of us involved on the medical or scientific research side of cannabis are finding that all of, many of, I shouldn't say all, many of the uh, studies reported back then are just not accurate, especially for the medical patient. It's just, it's apples and oranges. And so that's why I do all kinds of um, education. I do podcasts, I do whatever I can. I try to do as much as I can to try to educate because what I'm finding, as you guys know, as I've spoken to you before, is this incredible improvement in quality of life in Uh, many of the children and certainly adults who use cannabis in medical ways. And um, 
I, I'm just, I have to say like, even yesterday I got a little bit whacked out because <laughs> I got a question like, uh, we all know that THC damages the child's brain. It's like stating that as if it is written in stone. And, you know, so of course I write this crazy email and then of course I try to pull back and say, okay, what's the best way to re-educate, right? Mm -hmm. To undo the propaganda. And remember, and if, if I can just start with this and then I'm happy to take questions. Do you have age? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Developing brain is sensitive to cannabinoids. Yes. But remember that we have discovered in the last two decades that certain conditions such as epilepsy and autism have abnormalities within the endocannabinoid system that results in an overexcited brain. And that overexcited brain is sending messages of have a seizure, um, self-injurious behavior, like a child who's beating themselves up. They're not choosing to do that. These are the messages that are being sent in their brain or to lash out and, and you know, punch mom in the arm or you know, start breaking things in the house. These are all what we call overexcited messages from the brain or neuroexcitation. And one of the controls we have in our brain to control neuroexcitation is our endocannabinoid system. So we have to look at that, like why are patients with epilepsy and autism having the manifestations of this neuroexcitation? Well, maybe their endocannabinoid system is not working as well. And we have now scientific proof, for instance, in children with autism that they have abnormal gene expression of the various components of their endocannabinoid system, meaning it results, abnormal gene expression, meaning it results in a dysfunctional endocannabinoid system. As well as in epilepsy, there's evidence that the endocannabinoid system is not functioning properly. And so then how do we address that? Is That becomes our target of you know, intervention. And why do we have to recreate the wheel with some pharmaceutical medicine when mother nature gives us these cannabinoids that are natural, that interact with our bodies? I mean, look, I there's one... Um, report from William O'Shaughnessy in the 1800s talking about treating infantile uh, convulsions with um, ganja, okay? And what he found is what I'm finding. Mm -hmm. And how is it, now back then they didn't have any research or support. They didn't know about the endocannabinoid system. They had no idea, but now we have that data. So um, if a child has a neuroexcitatory condition and a suspected underlying endocannabinoid system problem, then one would suppose that cannabis, the you know, plant that provides these compounds, you can augment that system and help it work better. And that's the idea behind that. In terms of developing brains, when you have an underlying, like a, the baseline chemistry of the brain is off, that is the patient who is not gonna be harmed by cannabis. They're gonna be the patient mm -hmm. who is helped by cannabis. You know, I use the analogy that I don't give people who have, who don't have insulin, I don't give them insulin, right? We don't mm -hmm. treat he healthy. Yeah. So the way to kind of think about this is that you can't compare the studies from the seventies and eighties, looking at, let's say teenagers and young adults who just, you know, chronic heavy use of THC all the time 
And we found, oh, you know, this study shows less executive functioning or eight points uh, IQ difference or more anxiety when they're older. You can't mm -hmm. compare that to a six-year-old who has an underlying endocannabinoid deficiency who takes a medical regimen of cannabis. Mm -hmm. They're not, it's apples and oranges. And I, you know, it's just, we have to be able to know the details. We can't just say, oh, this study showed this. So that must apply to everybody. Of course not. That's too, that's sim over sim simplification of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Does that all make sense? No, it's very complex. Any... <laughs> no, just think, just, well, this is what I want you to think about. So if you were to get diabetes, type one diabetes, that just means your body's not making insulin. So you yeah. have to take insulin from an external source, right? Mm-hmm. If you make insulin, should I give you insulin? No. 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 Okay. All right. Now we know that some people just like the way THC makes them feel, right? So, but remember too, teenagers don't really understand the concept of moderation. That's just mm -hmm. called ju good judgment. I'm not saying all teenagers, but in general, teenagers do have this kind of different, you know, their brain isn't fully developed and they have some judgment issues. Now, if a teenager says to me, I have constant anxiety and depression, and I don't sleep well at night, and I walk around with a, a pit in my stomach all the time, or whatever other condition, hmm. this may reflect an imbalance in their endocannabinoid system. And yes, they should use cannabis under medical supervision. Um, hmm. If a teenager, let's say a 15 year old finds THC to be helpful, right? Just because they go out and smoke it with their friends. Often what ends up happening is they overdo. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you be create tolerance and you may lose the medicinal effect. And that is the opposite of really, if you're using it as medicine, you don't want to lose the medicinal effect, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But remember back in the day, they studied patients who were, or teenagers, I should say patients, use cannabis users who were kind of overusing because they, in the study, they wanted to see they wanted to find, you know, what the most dangerous thing is. Drug companies do this to this day. In order to get a drug through uh, to market, you have to ramp up the dose to see what happens to those people, right? They do it in animals first to make sure that they're hopefully not going to kill anybody. But then in the studies, they have to show safety. So for instance, even with the CBD Epidiolex um, product, they ramped it up to 50 milligram per kilo per day. Uh, to see what would happen in those patients taking it. Now, in general, we know CBD to be quite safe, and I'm sure that's part of the reason why they were able to, to ramp it up, but it helps establish like that safety. Mm -hmm. the, the thing is, is that in teenagers uh, who are self-medicating, or let's just say overusing, they might do better with, let's say, a one-to-one -one ratio, half CBD, half THC, and that would minimize tolerance, allow them to get a good result. Um, without overdoing. You would never ask a 15-year-old to come up with a treatment plan for any other medical condition. So why, sh do I, why should we trust them to just use THC at will? And in general, they're likely not to harm themselves, but mm -hmm. these are not, th this idea of that medical patients taking THC are equivalent to someone who's just over-medicating with THC. That's not the same. Mm -hmm. because the baseline chemistry is probably different. The response is going to be different. And there is no doctor that would just say, just take as much THC as you want and just keep going. Even if you lose the medicinal effect, that is not a medical regimen.
for someone suffering from something. I think all people using THC kind of hit a point in which they say, you know what, I think this might be too much. Everybody, you, you, you know, we all know ourselves, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And so I think there are some people who sometimes don't recognize it, but at the same time, again, under medical, it's very different. Medical has uh, different um, goals, right? The goal is not to necessarily be impaired or intoxicated, but to just help with the symptoms and, and to manage the condition. Yeah, I, I was like that. I was using far too much cannabis, but I don't use it as a, a for medical. I only, I'm a recreational user. The, but you, there's that old saying where there is no recreational user. Everybody uses for medical. Uh, yeah, there is that old saying, and I believe that as well. And I, But I also recognize that for many people, cannabis is helps them just manage day to day with the Mm -hmm. angst of day to day believe me i think if we all could just flip a switch and make ourselves less anxious we would do it but i agree that likely all medical cannabis use is medical if it makes you feel better it makes you feel happier Mm -hmm. then it it why shouldn't you be allowed to do that what are people doing in bars i mean So, mm-hmm. right. You go to a bar and, and I know part of it's social, but, but part of it is because you, you want that drink. How many people come home and pour themselves a glass of wine after a hard day of work or, or a stiff drink, so to speak. Yep. So, and it's not frowned upon yep. at all. No. And studies show there is no safe amount of alcohol for humans. It's clearly related to disease. And, and uh, it, we don't see that with cannabis. I mean, if the worst thing that happens is you overdid, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, nobody wants teenagers with anxiety to overuse, let's say, just THC so that they end up um, either losing that medicinal benefit and mm-hmm. having more anxiety, which I have seen in my practice where patients, com- teenage patients completely disregard what I recommend for them. Mm. And they just kind of go down the THC path. And then the parents report he's not doing well. And it's, well, yeah. you're not following the directions. And you but at build the same up that time, tolerance. and Yeah, that, you build up tolerance. Yeah. And what happens with tolerance, and this is, this is known now. So when mm-hmm. you hit your cannabinoid receptor with THC, remember the receptor doesn't exist for THC. It exists for your inner cannabis compounds called endocannabinoids. We have a system in our body of our endocannabinoid system that is there to help control those overexcited messages, to help control the flow of of messages from cell to cell. That's why Mm. we have the system. And then you go in with THC, which comes from outside, right? An external source, Mm -hmm. and it hits those same receptors. And if you hit them too much, they will hide. They, what we call downregulate. And then you don't have them to hit anymore. And that's why you have to escalate your dose of THC in order to get the same effect. That's the idea of tolerance. I need a higher dose to get a similar effect as I had prior with Mm -hmm. a lower dose. Those receptors that hide inside the cell, that's not permanent. If you abstain, as many cannabis users know, uh, if you abstain for one day, five days, a month, whatever, Mm -hmm. those receptors kind of get the all clear message and they pop back out onto the cell wall and are able to have the THC bind to them. But remember, if they're hiding in the cell, then now your natural inner cannabis compound doesn't have a place to work. Mm. So you've kind of shut down the machinery. Yeah, That's not a good idea because when you shut down the machinery, you have no way, your, your inner anxiety control system is now not working. 
And so, that is why sometimes we see increased anxiety. So abstaining resets the system. Isn't that great? Is there any way where you can get around that? Because some people don't, well, can't abstain. I agree. Yes. So sometimes changing strains, definitely including CBD in the mix. Hmm. I have found to help the studies um, out of um, Europe on the, the pharmaceutical drug called Sativex, which is a one-to-one ratio of CBD and THC. It's a pharmaceutically prescribed plant-based. It's not synthetic. It's pharmaceuticalized, but it's not um, synthetic. So meaning they harvest CBD and THC from the plant and create a, a product with it. The studies on that clearly show no development of tolerance and sustainability of effects. Cool. So the having CBD in the mix. Now for somebody who says, well, it changes my experience. I don't like it. Well, you don't have to have one-to-one. You could have a lot more THC, which is some CBD mixed in. Remember that most cannabis plants that are being grown for THC now, let's say 15, 20, 25, 30%, when the plant is pushed to express more THC, it sacrifices the CBD because they both come from the same parent precursor. Mm-hmm. So if you push in one direction, you lower the other. So more THC in that plant means less CBD. Yeah. More CBD in that plant means less THC, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I ask, Bonnie, whilst you're on the on the subject to tolerance um for epilepsy when children are taking quite high cbd and low thc um do the children reach a tolerance and if they do do they need to then swain like you know strain swap or and how would they do that you know yeah very good question so cbd appears to have and i I'm hope, hopefully we can study this in the future. It actually appears to have what we call reverse tolerance. So, and, and that means that you don't need as much. In fact, a lower dose can do the trick. And why would that happen? Well, when you use CBD, CBD enhances the endocannabinoid system machinery to function better. And over time, what I have witnessed in my patients is that if that machinery is functioning better on its own, then that child may not need as much CBD as they've been on. So if I have a child who's been on a high dose of CBD oil for epilepsy and we're doing great, and then all of a sudden they start having these breakthrough seizures and we have no other reason for it, like weaning a pharmaceutical or an illness or sleep issues. Sometimes, as you know, if a child doesn't sleep well at night, it can increase the risk of seizures. Um, Any, if we have no other reason for those breakthrough seizures to occur, it is a good idea to think to yourself, okay, this child's been on this oil for a while. They've been at this higher dose for a while. Is the underlying machinery picking up some of the slack and now they don't need as much CBD? Okay, and we call that upregulation of the endocannabinoid system. It's just functioning better. So what I'll do in those patients often is I will drop the dose by a, somewhere about 25%. Sometimes if they're on a if the seizures are really crazy, I may even take them off CBD for 24 hours and then reintroduce at a lower dose. So someone once, you know, some in the lay community, sometimes they call this CBD saturation. So think about like a kitchen sponge that you wash your dishes with. It only can hold so much water, right? Mm -hmm. So 
people have kind of described this as you want to squeeze out the sponge before giving more. So it's the idea of the brain has now kind of gotten back into balance. You don't need as much CBD to help that machinery function so you can back up. So that is why, so CBD doesn't really have tolerance. You do not need to, to give more to get a better effect, you actually do lower. So that's reverse tolerance. And there's only one article that I've been able to come across in the scientific literature that documented that CBD may have this phenomenon of reverse tolerance. Um, if I take a patient or lower their CBD dose by 25% and they, uh, usually what will happen is if we're right in our you know, clinical path, the seizures usually will stop, will we'll kind of stay at that lower dose for a while and then just watch for a while and see what happens. Um, and there's not, not very, medicines, very many medicines do that, right? Where you can lower the dose and get the same result. And part of that is because CBD does enhance anandamide, which is your inner cannabis compound. Hmm. So when you say reduce the cbd do you increase the thc as well or does that no get dropped we down just to... reduce no one thing at a, i only make one change at a time and i lower mm. the cbd to see if if that will help and oftentimes look I'll, I'll give you an example there's a little boy i was taking care of who had um, was on one pharmaceutical drug that helped somewhat but he would still have these breakthrough seizures and they kept ramping up on the dose of the drug the neurologist kept going up which is the standard practice is you know, start on a lower dose on the low end of the range and, and ramp up. And then the parents started seeing significant side effects with that particular drug as they went up. And the, the a neurologist then offered a second drug and the parents were just uninterested in adding yet another drug uh, that they knew after reading the side effects might affect their child's ability you know, for thinking and going to school and learning and all of that. Because we know that one thing people have to understand is that there are pharmaceuticals that will work well for seizures, but they have significant side effects, which may not occur in everybody, but when they do occur, especially in the developing brain of a young child, there may be consequences to that. So uh, these parents chose to go with cannabis and we ended up, the child ended up, let's say at like eight milligram per kilo per day of CBD oil with no seizure, seizure-free year and a half, I think two years, then all of a sudden he started having these breakthrough seizures. So I followed my clinical intuition, which let's lower the CBD. Mm. And he was a 25% seizure stopped. He goes another three months. And then again, he has these seizures that pop through and we lowered it again. He's currently seizure free now going on four years wow. at one, at one milligram per kilo per day which you know, theoretically is outside of like, quote, the known range based on the epidiolex studies, but that's what his body needs. And mm -hmm. that's where he's been. And, uh, you know, I even mentioned to the parents, you know, at some point, if you want it, it, he may have, quote, outgrown the seizures. The parents said, we don't want to find out one milligram per kilo per day is very affordable and mm -hmm. we're not changing anything. And we're happy where he's at. So, um, how did he go from eight down to one? Well, it, he's obviously a good responder. It's certainly possible that his seizure disorder resolved, that his neurologist does not think that that's the issue. His, his neurologist thinks that the cannabis, who he's, he has a, happens to have a cannabis-friendly neurologist, thinks that um, it may be due to the um, cannabis kind of correcting 
the endocannabinoid system. And again, again, it's hard to know because again, we're not really allowed to do that, to do studies. Mm -hmm. If a child had been seizure free on the cannabis for a, a long period of time, how long would you leave it before you would start to wean the cannabis? That's a great question too. Um, I recommend to the patients to get EEGs because we, we need some objective to understand what's going on in the brain. And so I do have patients with, and remember many of my patients are medically complex, as I'm sure you know, many of the children who are using cannabis, these are not your, you know, kind of, you know, kids with a little runny nose. These are kids with a very medically complex, often genetic based. Um, they usually have a baseline EEG somewhere before they come see me or multiple EEGs before they come see me. And that would be the way that I would uh, I would treat that the same way they, that they do with pharmaceuticals. If there's a normal EEG and there are no seizures for, you know, usually I like two years, again, I'm conservative, um, then I might consider weaning. I find that most parents who have suffered through the trauma of watching their child have seizures, if their child is seizure-free <laughs> on cannabis, they are not interested in stopping mm -hmm. the cannabis. They just don't want to risk it because, and why would, why is the satisfaction so high with cannabis medicine? Because there's very little side effects. We just don't see, and, and any side effects that you do see are often mitigated by changing the dose, the product, or the timing. And again, you have so many facts, so many variables, right? That we could, we, I always tell parents, we could, we could keep changing doses and terpenes and how much THC and how much uh, CBG and CBDA. I mean, we could go forever tweaking. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is find the sweet spot that gives the child the best quality of life with any, without any side effects. And from eight milligrams uh, down to one milligram, that's a, a big cost reduction as well, isn't it? It is. And that's the other part of it is they said, this is not hard on us. Uh, financially. And so certainly this is um, something that we want to continue. And remember too, CBD has other benefits, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, neuroprotectant. So even for patients of mine, and, and, and not everybody responds, um, in a recent publication, they looked at uh, single molecule CBD, like the Epidiolex model, which is purified CBD in a pharmaceutical preparation, versus whole plant CBD extract, okay? Mm -hmm. And so what might be the difference? So remember in the Epidiolex, 99% of that product is CBD with very little else from the plant. A whole plant extract for the most part is usually you know, somewhere about you know, 15 to 30% CBD and the rest is the rest of the plant. Other cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and everything else that the plant gives us. And this um, report that came out that compared whole plant extract with CBD was uh, with uh, purified CBD is very interesting. This is what they found is that whole plant extract, if you're just looking at overall uh, patients that, uh, who had reduction of seizures, something like 70% of those on whole plant extract had reduction of seizures versus I think it was in the 30% range for the purified. So you see the CBD whole plant seems to have added benefit of reducing seizures better. Hmm. However, if you apply what they call the standard clinical threshold, 
which is greater than 50% reduction of seizures, which is just a tool, you know, a, a definition that doctors use or researchers use to define kind of to be able to compare. There was no difference between the two, okay? Meaning if you apply greater than 50% reduction as your definition, both um, a whole plant CBD plus purified CBD, they, or sorry, whole plant CBD and purified CBD did the same thing. They were equal. There was no difference. So then you may say, well, why would I pick one over the other? Well, now let's talk about dosing. So whole plant on average, six milligram per kilo per day dosing versus 25 milligram per kilo per day with the purified mm. CBD. Right. And then that leads to side effects. So in terms of side effects, it was statistically significant, both mild and more either moderate or severe side effects, much less in the whole plant versus the purified. So by having that extract, so what am I saying? Well, those, all those other compounds that mother nature packages in the plant have all these other benefits, anti-inflammatory, anti-convulsant, antioxidant, which likely are contributing to the benefits of whole plant. Now I do not disregard purified if it's covered by insurance. So here in the United States, uh, patients with certain conditions such as Dravet syndrome, Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, and something called tuberous sclerosis, all rare but devastating pediatric epilepsies. Um, those are all conditions for which Epidiolex or purified CBD is covered by insurance for the most part. Right. And it alleviates that financial burden of high dose CBD for those families. However, many of my families that are taking Epidiolex include some portion of the CBD dosing as whole plant because they want to reap the benefits that the whole plant can provide. And they don't want to just exclusively use just purified CBD hmm. because they, and so when they do combination they are able to, they don't have to escalate the doses high and they seem like they have, they can minimize or mitigate the side effects uh, with, if their child needs high dose. So mm. it's just interesting, right? You don't have to pick one or the other. You can do both if it's accessible to you. It's interesting. Joanna, what, what kind of uh, milligrams per kilo? Uh, how, how do you say, doctor? You Milligram say, per so. kilo per day. Um, oh, gosh. God, I can't even, I, I'm not even sure what Ben's on now at the moment. Um, we've been, we've had some supply issues, so we've been up and down, up and down, but he's, um, he's 25, he's just under 25 kilograms and he's on um, 2.9 mil a day. And, and do you know what the 2.9 mil, how many mil, or how many milligrams per ml? Yeah, it's, it's 100 milligrams per mil. So 2.9, uh, how many times a day? Sorry? How many times a day does he take 2.9? Uh, just that's, it's spread out between four. Um, oh, so 2.9 total for the whole day. Yeah, so you take, now. right. So you take 2.9, you multiply it by a hundred because it's a hundred milligram in one ML. Yeah. And then you divide by the weight in kilos and he's 25 kilos, you said? 24 Yeah, kilos? just under, but yeah. yeah. So he's getting about 12 milligram per kilo per day. And this is the, in my experience, the range for most patients is somewhere between five and 25 milligram per kilo per day. That's a very wide range. And so you cannot call CBD a failure 
until you get to the higher doses, because in the epidiolex studies, it was dose response was dose dependent. So you can't, and, and this requires a huge amount of patience from parents because you're not gonna start at 25 milligram per kilo. You start low and you titrate up. Um, and with plant, it is more likely to be at the lower end of that range, but I do have patients in the higher range. And remember, we do not absorb every milligram of CBD that we take. Mm. We absorb probably somewhere between five and 25% of the CBD that we take. So remember, if you're taking 300 milligrams, that doesn't mean that's what ends up in your bloodstream. And we call that bioavailability, right? What's, what mm -hmm. becomes available to you to use. And absorption of CBD, this is an issue with CBD. So what can help with absorption? Taking cannabis um, with uh, fatty food. So often I recommend taking it with yogurt or avocado or eggs. Uh, rather than taking it when you're in a quote fasted state, meaning you haven't eaten for a while and not planning to eat. We also know that and the, the reason Epidiolex or the purified CBD has a little alcohol in its uh, concoctions because alcohol helps you absorb it. I'm not a big fan of giving children alcohol. So um, it's not very much in the Epidiolex, but still over time, one would wonder. Um, and remember, these are children who all have um, lots of pharmaceuticals often and their liver's already being taxed. So I just try to, I, I'm not a big fan of alcohol, though it can help with absorption. And there are good products on the market that contain alcohol, a little bit of alcohol. Again, I, I'm just not a huge fan for children. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, and other ways to do it, and you probably have heard of this, may, maybe not um, here in the States, there are um, manufacturers who are using what they're calling nanotechnology, where they kind of wrap the CBD or the THC or whatever the cannabinoid is in a water soluble kind of um, orb. And then it supposedly gets absorbed better that way with a water soluble, um, because these compounds are are what we call lipophilic, they're fat loving. And they're just, you, you, we often think that we absorb every ounce of fat that we eat, but we don't, right? Not all of it's absorbed. And so these are issues and there, I think that for some patients, especially children, we know for sure with children with, with autism, they have gut issues. Maybe they're not absorbing very well and you have to overcome that by going high dose. Does that make sense that you have to go up on the dose in order to absorb more, mm -hmm. right? And get yourself yeah. into a therapeutic range of do or therapeutic dose range. Yeah. Can I ask, you know, if, if a child is very autistic and they say only have certain foods and you couldn't disguise the taste of the cannabis, is there any other way of giving it? Because I know that there's some sprays coming out. There's, um, you know, there's powdered, but obviously, you know, isolated powdered form. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest if they're very, very severely autistic where they couldn't tolerate taking right. something with that taste, you know? Yeah, that's a real issue that people struggle with, no question. And, you know, there's a lot of various flavoring on the market. And of course, you know, you want to make sure it's not terribly synthetic and, and like filled with preservatives. You want something as natural as possible. Some of my patients... Um, I've had parents who have said, we cannot get our child to take this. And so it's just not an option. Even in some of the studies that came out of um, Israel, uh, clinical trials in children with uh, taking cannabis for autism, some of them just 
had to drop out because they couldn't take the medicine. Mm. So I think um, working with your child. So a lot here in the United States, pudding uh-huh. is not dessert. We call, it's pudding, like a little chocolate pudding or vanilla pudding. It's like a, you know, the consistency. I don't know what else to call it. I don't know what you call it uh, where you live, but, um, but yes, yeah, pudding. <laughs> is it just pudding? Okay. So people mix it in with something that's kind of a treat and tastes good. And I suppose, you know, uh, even if you're trying to avoid sugar, I mean, you could come up with something that might be sugar-free, but a lot of people tell me they have to hide it in the child's favorite food. Peanut butter or nut butters do a pretty good job. They're big, they have high fat content and they kind of can mask the flavor. So I find mm-hmm. something that has a, a more potent flavor. Some of the companies here in the, in the United States have different flavorings. So for one particular product, it comes in like a mint flavor or a tropical flavor or a, um, like there's even one company, I want to say they have something called like a French vanilla something or a mocha flavor coffee. Mocha will also cover it like that coffee flavor. Cause again, it's an intense flavor. Um, again, I've had a few patients that just refuse. Um, some families have found that they will buy um, empty capsules and they will make their own Mm. capsules and that way you can customize the dose so for instance let's say a company has 25 milligram cbd capsules but your child's dose is 42 milligrams well with those capsules that come that come uh pre um fabricated it's 25 or you can go up to 50 right something like that. Cause you mm. can take one, you could take two. If you took three, it's 75, but your child needs 42. Well, you can make your own capsules to customize the dose. So some people will do that and children who can swallow, who can swallow the, uh, are able to swallow the capsules, but it's a, it's a problem. And it's very hard to mask the flavor, as you know, for mm-hmm. whole plant. It yeah. is. And that's part of the trouble doing placebo controlled trials is people know what they're getting <laughs> because of the odor and the taste. Here in the UK, Bonnie, we have a lot of trouble with the doctors here. The neurologists don't want to prescribe on the NHS. Um, one of the mums has asked me to ask you a question. She, she said she's got an appointment with a doctor who's not willing to support um, her son's medical cannabis prescription, despite the huge reduction in his tonic seizures. She's at a loss as to how to approach this appointment and bring about understanding and change um, you know, to him really, um, you know, with his anti-medical cannabis views. She's asked, how would you approach this? Well, so I think the biggest problem is that, um, and I don't really know why um, the UK has this issue, why the doctors are so resistant to it because here in the United States, when I started doing this in 2008, I came across the same thing. I had even doctors call me saying, are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, seriously called me and called me out on it. And then I, you know, say, look, I'm going to try to explain so on and so forth. Um, But what I have found is that kind of the best approach is to, and I'd be more than happy to send a list of the latest articles that support the use of CBD for intractable seizure disorders, children suffering with intractable seizures. And you basically have to make the case scientifically. Here are the latest papers. Maybe you haven't seen these. I appreciate they're very busy and you can't read every paper that comes out. 
but I want to leave this with you. And I would really like for you to read this because I have found in my child the same thing that they're reporting in these papers. That would be very helpful. Yeah. If you, I'd if be you very can. happy to send that. Look, I've, got a, you on, yeah. I've, yeah. I've got you on LinkedIn. I'll send you my email if that's okay. That would be perfect. Go ahead and message me on email and I'd be more than happy to, to send you the latest articles. So there's a doctor who, you know, you're probably familiar with, you know, Matt Hughes and MedCan support yeah. in, in England. And, you know, I've tried to do as much support for him and his group and, you know, all of you as much as possible. Uh, recently, and I think this was a, talk that I was on, but there's a doctor in Canada who's a brilliant neurologist and he's just one of the nicest people you'll meet. And he just said, if you're not, if you're a neurologist and you are not including CBD on your list of uh, anti-convulsants, you are doing a disservice to your patients. And that coming from a brilliant neurologist who runs a big program, who is even more conservative than me, that's saying a lot. And um, certainly um, uh, there is no question now that CBD is considered an anticonvulsant and should not be considered last resort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's Evan, Evan Lewis. Yes. Is it? Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Lewis. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I've got another question from a, a parent because of the issues that we have in the UK. We haven't got really many doctors prescribing. And they've put her. Um, what key points of advice um, would you give to parents who are medicating their child on their own because they can't wait any longer for a doctor? Mm. Right. So the key points, number one, don't worry that you're going to harm your child. You're not going to harm your child. Now, as you go up on CBD, your child may, you know, may have a seizure and we don't know if it's from being on CBD or because of the underlying seizure disorder where your child might get harmed. Look, I had a little girl as I was titrating up on the CBD and this was years ago. And, you know, I got a call from the neurologist. She fell and hit her head and, you know, but she has a seizure disorder and that could have happened with any drug. And just because CBD was there, he decided to blame the CBD. And I disagree with that. You don't know if a child has a seizure disorder is having seizures. I don't think this, and in her case, this was just kind of a one-off seizure. She didn't have a massive amount of seizures just when we introduced the CBD. So, but there's, you know, that bias against it, but in general, you're not going to harm your child. My other recommendation is to make only one change at a time. Do not wean a pharmaceutical and go up on the CBD on the same day. Do not lower the CBD and add in another drug on the same day. One change at a time so you can track what that change does. So you know somewhat cause and effect, even though it's not always 100%. One change at a time. Hmm. Latest, latest studies show that in terms of drug interactions, the drug called valproic acid and CBD can result in a minority of patients. It's not all patients on valproic acid, but a minority can have elevated um, liver uh, blood tests. So the blood test looking at the liver called we call liver function tests can be elevated. Um, it's not a big deal. It's a small, small percentage of patients that are on both. But if your child is on that drug, you want to make sure you're getting proper um, blood tests. So to make sure you're following the liver. It's not so dangerous that you can't do it. Of course you can do it. I do it 
a lot, but you just want to follow those blood, those blood tests. Mm -hmm. I have definitely seen elevated liver function tests on patients on the purified, not very much, even on high dose whole plant. And then um, also the other drug to be concerned with is a drug called clobazam. Uh, that's the other drug interaction, CBD and clobazam do interact. And really the only downside is that your child would be heavily sedated. In the trials of the purified CBD, 40% of patients taking clobazam had to lower their clobazam dosing as they ramped up on the CBD dosing. So just be aware if you see your child sedated, it doesn't happen often right after you go up on CBD. It's usually a delayed response, a week, two weeks. If you see sedation, then you have to decide if I want to keep, if my child's responding to CBD as I'm going up, I have to think about lowering the Omphi or the Clobazam. Sorry, that's the, that's the brand name here in the United States. I don't know what it is there, but you'd have to lower the Clobazam. And again, 40% in the Epidiolex trials had to do it. 60% didn't. So, you know, a bit of a crapshoot there. Your child may or may not uh, need that. And what I also recommend is there's a study uh, that shows that once you go up on CBD, it takes two to six days for that increase of the dose to reflect in the bloodstream. So you don't wanna make a change on a Monday and then make another change on a Wednesday. You haven't seen what that increase has done yet. So I recommend every two week increases as you're titrating up on the CBD so that you can get a really good picture of what did that increase do. Now, of course, if your child falls off the cliff and, the, and everything goes bad with an increase, you can always go back down, let it settle down, and then try again to see if it's even because of the CBD. But in general, you wanna try to only make changes every two weeks so you can really get a good picture of what this particular dose is doing. And that goes back to that idea of have, you have to have patience. And I know that's very difficult, but sometimes it can take months to really figure out. With the purified CBD, what they'll do is start the child at five milligram per kilo per day. And then a week later, jump up to 10. And then they often go to 15 and then to 20. It's kind of a very quick ramp up. My idea with you know, the way I practice is I'm trying to dial it in for that specific person, their dose, not based on some range that was developed. Um, I don't want to give anybody any more than they need or any less that they need. And the only way to do that is be patient and titrate up. In addition, um, uh, often if you're making other medication changes, you just hold the CBD where it is, make the other medication change again, wait a week, and then you can go back to titrating up on the CBD. Does that make sense, Joanne? Yes, it does. It Some does great too. info, man. Some great yeah. info. GP has a question um, there as well. Yeah, I have one for you, um, Dr. Bonnie, from Caroline in the audience. She's asking about, she puts her Mitchell's um, medicine in her chocolate milkshakes. Um, Mitch is approximately 80, 83 kilos. He's 14 with epilepsy and autism leaning disabilities, etc. He's taken 16 milligrams of carbam epizine. Yep. Yeah, three times per day. Uh, BD isolate, 5,000 milligrams strength. 
Um, he's taken one milligram milliliters four times per day of THC Afghan Kush special 25% THC to 0.1 to 0.3 CBD. Right. One milliliters twice a day. Is she's mm-hmm. asking, is she um, dosing the cannabis oils correctly? Right. Well, so... Um, and all those numbers there are they're in the Zoom chat as well. If you need to read, yeah, yep, I see it. Cool. I do see it. So if I uh, let me ask about the BD isolate, it's five thousand milligrams. Is it a liquid form? If it's a liquid form, how many milliliter? Like, what's the size of the bottle? Because I the bottom line is I need to know what one ml is. How many it's, milligrams is one ml? She said milligrams. That. She's saying she's in the live chat here as well. Oh, so okay. I'm trying to keep up on, on that. Yeah. Um, milligrams, she says. No, but how many? So how many milligrams are in one ml? So she gives one ml four times a day of the CBD. I'm assuming BD isolate is CBD. And it's nah. 5,000 milligram strength. That doesn't tell me how many milligrams per one ml. Because yeah. I know you're not giving 5,000 milligrams in one ml. That's not how it comes. So if it's a one ounce bottle, you would take 5,000 and divide by 30 for 30 mLs. I mean, I just, it's, so I, I'm missing a peat one. It's a 50, 50 milliliter bottle, um, Dr. 50 Bonnie. 50 mL bottle. Okay, yeah. let me do the math. Bear with me one second as no I do problem. the math. So fi- you would take 5,000 milligrams and divide by uh, 50 mL. And that tells me that each one mL is 100 milligrams, Okay. So if he's taking one ml four times a day, he's getting 400 milligrams, 100 milligram for each dose times four is 400 milligrams a day. And if he's 83 kilos, you would take 400 milligrams per day and divide by the kilo. That gives you milligrams per kilo. He's only getting, I don't want to say only, but he's getting 4.8. So around five milligram per kilo per day. So, and let's just calculate. So that would be um, at the low end of the range, which I mentioned was five milligram per kilo per day up to uh, 25 milligram per kilo per day. So let's time, if you take his weight 83 and multiply by 25, 2,075 milligrams is his max, kind of his theoretical max dose. So he's getting 400 and he can get up to 2,000. So do you Mm. see where he's at, right? So I can't say that you're dosing incorrectly. You're just at the low end of the range. And the way you would increase, my recommendation would be to go up by one to two milligrams per kilo per day, which would be around his weight. You would go up by like 80 milligrams on your up um, per day on your neck. So from 400, I mean, you could round it up, go to 500, then try 600, then try 700. In my experience, someone who is um, at 83 kilos, you're going to be safe getting him up to, you know, a thousand milligrams a day. Right now, I have a young man who is about that same weight, uh, maybe a little bit less, who's taking 1600 milligrams a day of CBD with excellent control of seizures. So you're at the very low end. This is where the finances become difficult. Imagine Mm. paying for... 1600 milligrams a day of CBD. And let's just say it's 1600 times point. If let's just say it's one cent a milligram, it's $16 a day. Wow. Right. And so in a month you're talking almost, well, 
$500 US dollars, right? Which mm -hmm. I've have, I've, and nobody really has CBD at, you know, one cent per milligram. Mm -hmm. uh, there are in, in California, for instance, I have seen as low as I think 1.6 cents a milligram. And the high, I've seen products on the market that are like a dollar a milligram, which is insane. There's no reason to pay that. That's just, that's price gouging. So, um, but there's, for instance, some preparations out there that are not meant for high dosing um, and they're like 16 cents a milligram. That would not be something you would want to use for this. But I just point out the cost because you're know, thinking about a child like this who needs, you know, who, who has based on weight might need a might have a requirement for very high dosing. That's kind of where the trouble gets in. So you're not inappropriately doing it. You're just at the low end. You're at the five milligram per kilo. And mm -hmm. my recommendation would be to go up to six. You could go up to seven, eight. If you want to go a little bit faster, you could go from five to 7.5 milligram per kilo, then to 10. And you, so you could go up in 2.5 milligram increments. That's good because you can yeah. see um, Mitch is still having two to five day focal seizures a day at the right. minute. Did, and did the cannabis, did this adding, the, did the CBD have an effect to lower the seizures for this, for this child? Um, okay. Billy, Billy is saying, yep, it helped instantly. Okay. So Billy this is, is Caroline's um, part. Okay. So. so this is a responder. So this child's a responder, right? If it helped instantly. So it is worth escalating the dose in small increments every two weeks to see if you can find, you know, what I call the sweet spot dose. Okay. Mm -hmm. The studies show that children who have not responded to any other pharmaceuticals. So for instance, um, the definition of intractable epilepsy, intractable meaning difficult to treat or treatment resistant, okay, is that they try two appropriate, at least two appropriate anticonvulsant medications and did not respond, okay? By the time you get to the third uh, pharmaceutical, the chance of responding if the first or second or the combination of the first and second did not help is less than 4%. Mm. So that is the definition of treatment resistant epilepsy. The studies show that in terms of seizure freedom for this group who have tried cannabis is that only somewhere between 10 and 15% will get full seizure freedom. But still remember, this is a group that's being told well, we, we don't really have, pharm the pharmaceuticals are unlikely to work. So that's still to me a good number, 10 to 15%. However, the number of patients that get a greater than 50% reduction of seizures, which if you remember, if your child's having seizures every day, greater than 50% is very impactful. It can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, he was having if, 50 plus a day. Yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, I had a little girl in my practice was having a hundred a day more. The parents could even, couldn't even count them. And after four days on CBD oil, the father reached out and said, she's, I counted six, that's it. Like, so this is clearly a responder, right? Mm -hmm. You must explore dosing because I cannot tell you, nobody can tell you, is your child in that 10 to 15% that could be seizure free until you explore higher doses. And so it is worthwhile to titrate up um, if you can afford the higher dosing um, 
that might be required for someone who is, you know, a big size person, 83 kilos is adult size. And so that's where the difficulty can come in. I don't see a reason to worry about the carbamazepine. The studies show that we don't have to worry too much about that. Uh, the levels can change in the bloodstream, but they've been shown to not change more than 10%. So uh, and kind of fall, it doesn't fall out of the um, therapeutic range. So I'm not worried about that drug at all. Uh, the only thing I would say is, as you go up on the CBD, leave, if the child's getting THC, which it looks like one ML twice a day, I just leave that. Do not change two things at once, one thing at a time. It ha and it, it sh you have to have a lot of discipline to only change one thing at a time when you're having a bad day. Believe me, it's not easy. Yeah, I'm sure. What do you think about that, Joanne? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we, we, um, we, well, it, that happened to us. We were having a hundred seizures a day, our son. Um, and then we found a product in Canada and it reduced to just six a day. And that was just using drops, you know, cause it was something that somebody brought back from, um, a clinic in Canada and, and it, and it worked and this went down to six a day. But then when we ran out, we went on Epidiolex and he was having um, up to 300 seizures a day. And that was, he was on six mil a day of CBD and it just, it, it just ruined, it just right. ruined it wasn't him. The right, yeah, it wasn't the right product for him. No, so we it, went back to a yeah. full extract and now he's, um, he, he had his first ever seizure-free day as he had 17 <gasps> oh, days free. So I just got chills. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, a seizure-free day is something to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I, I'd like to chime in one more thing here about seizures. CBDA, which is the raw form of CBD. Uh, there's a study, and again, I'll include that study on in my list of, of articles to read, was shown to have similar anticonvulsant effects as CBD. And I have found that sometimes the combination of the two can be quite good at controlling seizures. And remember, this is fairly new just in the last couple of years that I've been using CBDA. And I started using it more as an anti-inflammatory, maybe to help these children. We know that children who have epilepsy have a fair amount of neuroinflammation. The seizures cause brain inflammation and nobody's addressing that with pharmaceuticals. Uh, and remember it's inherent in the cannabis plant to be an anti-inflammatory that's well-proven. So CBDA has very nice potent anti-inflammatory effects. So I was adding it knowing that it's a fairly, very low side effect, very low risk, raw, it's basically raw plant, raw, raw CBD plant. Um, and I started to see patients who had, let's say only achieved 50% reduction of seizures with CBD, when we added in CBDA, we saw additional seizure reduction. So remember sometimes combining different cannabinoids can um, give a better result. Again, that kind of entourage effect of mm. the cannabinoids. Um, and so for someone who cannot necessarily afford high doses of CBD or found that even at the max dose of CBD, there's only a partial response, of course, try adding in CBDA at that point. Why not? CBDA as a raw compound, remember these compounds all come from the main precursor called CBGA, cannabigerolic acid. And then depending on the genetics of the plant, um, there are different enzymes based on the genetics that CBGA will convert to THCA, which then when heated up makes THC. 
CBGA in the face of a certain enzyme will turn to CBDA, which then when heated up makes CBD. Uh, CBGA will, if you heat that up, create CBG. And then also another enzyme, minor enzyme, CBGA can convert to what's called CBCA, cannabic chromic acid. So, but what we know about the quote A forms or the raw forms is that they are more water soluble, therefore more bioavailable. So you don't need bit necessarily big, big doses mm. to make a difference. And that again, lower doses, more bioavailable help, helps keep the cost down. So CBDA here in the States is available in, in um, kind of many of that in the hemp market, you know, the, um, you know, um, online, so to speak, you can just buy it. You don't need to be in a cannabis licensed cannabis dispensary or have a medical approval to buy it. You can buy it online and they're not, again, strain matters for some patients. I like to give you an example. I have the family I mentioned where the child was taking, or is a young adult now, 1600 milligrams of CBD with just about seizure freedom. Um, with very rare breakthrough seizures, but going from daily seizures to now, you know, went three and a half years without a seizure and then had one little breakthrough. Uh, and we think, you know, uh, as growing and changing, remember hormones grow and change. And so uh, things can change, but he's still virtually seizure free. I would say, you know, in a year's time, I think he has about four or five seizures total. They're brief. He recovers quickly. Um, the cost of the particular product they were using would just got too much for the family. Mm. And they asked me, can we switch? We found another company with a very good oil. Um, here's the, you know, that what we call the COA, the certificate of analysis. So I could see what was in it. And I was familiar with the oil because I use it in other patients. And, but that company was willing to give this family a significant discount, which is wonderful. Awesome. And what we did was we switched from one to the other. And we did it very slowly. We took away like 10% of the initial, let's say oil one and oil two, we took away 10% of oil one and replaced it with oil two. And we did it over a period of time, like I'd say three months and got him fully over to the oil number two. And he's still doing really well. No hiccups. In fact, might be even a little bit better. Awesome. I tried the same thing just recently with another child. And the first day that we added in the 10% of the other of the new oil two, he had four seizures, which he's never had in one day. He's a child who has one seizure every few weeks, let's say. So it made it worse for him. So it made it worse. It's not his strain. Mm. It's not mm -hmm. his chemovar. Right. And that therein lies the problem with cannabis is that mm -hmm. there's how many chemovars out there and yep. people are growing and it all depends on the... Um, and, and, and Joanne, you experienced this. You had a beautiful oil from Canada that gave your child a great result. And then you switched to something else, whether it was Epidiolex or even something else, it may have not worked as well. And that's where, you know, there is some trouble there because like, how, how many do you try? Mm -hmm. How many do you invest in? How many, you know, because, it, and it's so traumatic because you're terrified that you're going to go from either good or not so good to worse. Yeah. And that, that's a very difficult thing. So, and, and I acknowledge that, but at the same time, if you're not finding great results, it is okay to try something different. It's okay to blend oils as well. And I often say to people, I'll sit here and tweak things till the kingdom come, right? We can tweak you. I, I let the parents dictate just how much 
further they want to go. If we tried two or three different CBD oils and it doesn't seem to work, I will say we can continue to try different oil from a different manufacturer because by definition, they're going to be different, right? Different greenhouse, different, Mm -hmm. you know, grown in Colorado versus California, right? Mm -hmm, It's going to be different. Um, Or we'll switch to a different cannabinoid. THCA, which is the raw form of THC, I have in a handful of patients. I have these kids who are seizure-free on THCA or close to, who did not do well on CBD at all. In fact, they took CBD and maybe got worse. And we didn't even go any further because the parents said, I don't want to go down that road. Let's try something else. And we tried THCA. And now we have CBDA. And then THC is a good anti-convulsant as well. And I know where you are, it's highly illegal. So that would be very difficult to have a steady state. But here in California, we do use, I have plenty of patients who take THC, especially those kids who have a dual diagnosis of epilepsy and autism, because it helps with uh, symptoms of autism. Um, The only problem with using THC by itself as a drug to treat seizures, even though there are many adults that will tell you they smoke and they don't have their seizures, that's great. But in, I find in pediatric patients, um, oftentimes tolerance becomes an issue, especially Mm. in the kids with the more severe epilepsies. Um, It just, you know, if you, you do not want to lose your target in the brain. Remember the same idea I talked about earlier. You don't want to lose that target Mm -hmm. by shutting it down, even temporarily. So that's why I never really use THC by itself. You know, there's a little girl I take care of now that's on like, you know, we calculated out she on on a CBD product, on a THC product and on a CBDA product. And she's at like a ratio of three to one CBD to THC with, you know, complete control of her seizures. Um, And that was the complete control came when we added in a low dose of CBDA. She was close. And then the CBDA added in helped. But again, it's each, this is the problem with cannabis is it's very individual and it's not one size fits all. So Mm -hmm. doctors who work in this field really have to pay attention to these very, all of these variables to be able to try to help people. You know, it's very Mm -hmm. labor intensive. And that's why I think parents who are trying to do this without the, without like this kind of scientific knowledge or all these years experience, it's just very difficult. And the media makes it sound like, oh, you just give CBD and your child's great. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. and that's just not the way it works. When it comes to bioavailability, because you've mentioned that a couple of times, can you mix? I assume when you're getting this cannabis medicine, Joanne, you would know it's, it's pure oil. There's nothing else with it. Is it uh, like straight from the plant that don't mix it with anything or do they mix it with a carrier oil? Yeah, they mix it with a carrier oil. Right. And that helps, right? That helps with the bioavailability. I prefer products that don't have a whole bunch else in it. I like just cannabis oil and a carrier oil just to minimize because a lot of these patients, these children who have these kind of severe difficulties, um, they're just really sensitive to a lot of different compounds. And I just try to minimize what could be throwing us off as Mm. much as possible. Do different Um, oils have a different bioavailability? Well, so you can look at the various oils. So most of the oils in the United States are based are either olive oil or um, what we call MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride oil. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with the shelf life, you know, as long as you don't want it to go rancid very quickly. Yeah. Many of the studies done on cannabis are done with sesame, uh, sesame oil. And that's what Epidiolex has also some sesame seed oil in it. 
um, as well as the alcohol to, I guess, to enhance. And I think the reason that they chose that was just based on what's out there in the scientific literature that's been studied. Mm. Um, there are some patients who have allergies or don't tolerate, you know, one or the other. So many of the companies here in the United States will offer either MCT or olive, olive oil base as a choice. A parent can choose one over the other. You know, if you ask me which one's better, I'd say, I don't know, you're going to have to start with one and then you can try the other and see. There's also some companies that have it in safflower oil, I believe, um, or grapeseed oil. So there's lots of choices, but having it in that oil base, if your child won't take it with food or it's, you know, the timing of the doses, let's say right before bedtime, where you're not really interested in giving your child some big meal or snack, um, remember it is in the oil, the carrier oil. So that does help with the absorption. That's crazy. I mean, it's way more complex than you would think initially. It's, like you said, it's not a case of just giving CBD and the epilepsy will go away. You have to find the right dosage. Sometimes that cannabinoid doesn't work. You have to find another cannabinoid. This is a lot of information for people to take right. in. It is it, right. It's, it's exactly right. And it's, um, and that's why it would be helpful to have, you know, healthcare professionals who understand mm -hmm. this, or at least are willing to learn along. Look, how did I learn? I learned alongside my parents. I just said, you stay in touch with me, tell me what's going on and I'll do the best I can to try to, you know, get your child to the place where we where you know, the quality of life is improved and the seizures are down and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a testament to just how safe cannabis is that I haven't had anybody that had any severe uh, reaction. Part of that is because I'm really conservative in the way I titrate very slowly, tiptoe up. Mm -hmm. um, and, but we've learned, and now we have a fair amount of research to support the use of CBD in patients with intractable or treatment resistant epilepsy. Um, but it doesn't make it easy just because we have the research. It's still an individualized approach. And, and um, we need to have healthcare professionals who are willing to step up and say, I'm going to help you with this because um, somebody needs to be able to look at any particular child's, just because let's say a child has, one child has Dravé and another has Dravé, they're not the same in their response to anything. They happen to have a similar gene, uh, genetic um, mutation, that's it. <laughs> and similar symptoms, but you know, it's interesting. Um, if you look at any genetic disorder, uh, remember there's a, a, a gene that's out of whack, but then everything else is, is not the same. So how do we equate just because one child with Dravet responds and another child's going to respond? I haven't found that. Hmm. And remember too, your endocannabinoid system is coded by your DNA. And so that's going to be individual to you. I do think we're moving into a world in general where customized or what you call personalized medicine is starting to become um, more prominent because if you look at some cancer treatments now, they're customizing to people, uh, to people's um, uh, individual either genome or their, their um, you know, when they now let's say do a biopsy of a tumor, they run genetic testing to see what's going on there because different rather than calling it all one kind of cancer mm -hmm. it's not it's it's different person to person it may have originated let's say you know you have um lung cancer in one person and lung cancer in the other but that doesn't mean there's anything the same about it but mm. yet the treatment might be the same well that that's archaic yeah
Thanks, Bonnie. Um, you know, when children uh, come off the anti-epilepsy drugs that they've been taking, the pharmaceutical ones, how many will remain, see, you know, will be um, maintain uh, seizure control with just cannabis? Do you have a, a lot of children that, that do come off um, the pharmaceuticals? Right. Well, when you look at the studies, um, you know, remember those most drugs that are classified as anticonvulsants cannot just be taken away easily. As you know, you have to wean them very slowly. Um, and often when you wean, if there's a breakthrough seizure or things go wrong, then you stop and you don't get off. I mean, there's, it's a very, it is a treacherous path, but it can be done. I would say that in my practice about um, 25 percent of patients who have responded to cannabis have been able to completely eliminate um, the drugs. Now, of course, many parents come in and say, my child's on these drugs. <laughs> I don't think they're working because they have the same number of seizures as they had before. So I try not to take away the drugs that might be contributing to the benefit, right? If let's say so, uh, for example, if one of my patients came in on three different anti-epileptic drugs, the mother felt for sure, or the parents felt for sure that one of them made a difference, but the other two did not. So after getting started with CBD about three or four months later, the child was had a significant reduction in seizures, about 75%, and the mother wanted to eliminate one of the drugs and got instructions from the neurologist to, to wean down. And then we went very, very, very slowly going down. And if needed, we bumped up the CBD to kind of fill in the gap. But now this child, and we did that again with another drug. So she is on one drug plus cannabis oil with over 90% reduction of seizures. She still has seizures. Wow. She has a syndrome, so she's not going to be perfect, but she's a happy, happy child. She hadn't smiled, according to the parents, in four years. Wow. And she's now happy and she's engaged. And part of that is just being less drugged. Let's face that. that that's yeah, just getting rid of, of pharmaceutical less... and bumping it up with some CBD. It sounds like right. the way anybody would right. want to go, really. Yep. And so it's not a huge percentage, though. And part of that is because if you oftentimes get to a good place, you don't want to rock the boat because when you start weaning, you always risk a breakthrough seizure. And it may not be because the drug was working. It's just the removal of the drug causes neuroexcitation in the brain and inflammation. It's been there for a while. I just talked with a family whose a child with Dravet syndrome is now 30. I think I met them when she was 22. And now she's having you know problems with her liver from Depakote. She's been on Depakote since she's two years old. Oh my gosh! Right, so years and years, and now her liver's hit, and we're go and the parents were not interested in weaning, but now they don't have a choice; they have to wean it, Oof. and it's creating a lot of stress for them. And I just said, "We'll just go really slowly." We'll and what I usually recommend is, and by the way, I investigated this. I am not a neurologist, and I'm freely say that I am a pediatric trained physician. My background was emergency, pediatric emergency medicine, um, where I did take care of a lot of kids that came in with, you know, epilepsy and so on. So I feel comfortable with all of that. However, I'm not a neurologist. So I asked a few neurologists, what is the standard for weaning medication? And don't you know, there was no standard It's kind of whatever they learned in their training program. No so way. some doctors, yes. Well, 
I mean, you know, so I have adopted the only take away 10% of the dose at most. You want to minimize, especially for child's in a good place, you want to minimize rocking the boat and only take away 10%. So let's say a child is on hundred milligrams of whatever X pharmaceutical, you're gonna only, per day, you would only take away 10 or less milligrams, right? 10%. Mm. Because the brain is less likely to freak out with less than 10, only a small percentage is taken away. And I even have families that say, we're gonna go even slower, only gonna take away 5%. It does make it a longer process, but at the same time, it may make it a little bit easier. Um, they use, they have adopted this, uh, I forget there's, I think there's a name to it, but many people who wean off opioids use this similar 10% um, rule where you only take 10% away uh, mm. to try to minimize the withdrawal that you might feel if you are weaning off an opioid-based medication. So I have tried this and it seems um, to work not perfectly, but pretty well. It's certainly better than taking away. So sometimes my patients will get instructions to wean, to cut the dose in half. I wouldn't do that in my child. Mm. No way. I mean, that's like asking for a seizure. Yeah. So I, I, I do. I just, yeah. I just, I just want to answer this question because it's been sitting there for a little bit. My opinion okay. on CBG that's and right. its uses and benefits. Is that okay if I go ahead and answer that? Of course. That? Yeah. yeah, it's your show. We're just here to listen okay. and ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So CBG is cannabigerol. It comes from CBGA, which is, again, the mother-parent compound to all the compounds. It does have tremendous um, um, overlap with some of the other cannabinoids, and I have found it to be quite helpful. It is a cannabinoid that is not intoxicating. So you don't have to worry about anybody getting um, intoxicated on it. And uh, usually it does come from the hemp plant because it is, there's just more, it's more abundant in the, you know, kind of the hemp version of, of the cannabis plant. Um, CBG doesn't make you high because it doesn't bind to the directly to the cannabinoid receptors like uh, THC does. Although there was some study that said that, you know, it, it might bind, but because, you know, again, a laboratory study, but in humans, I do not have patients getting intoxicated on it, but it turns out that it, it's similar to CBD in that it enhances your body's own natural endocannabinoid system by allowing the body's inner cannabis endocannabinoids to last a little bit longer. It also interacts with what we call the, um, the trip uh, receptors or trip channels. And these are channels involved in pain and inflammation, also involved in cancer. So we know it involved, it works there. We also know CBG um, um, blocks the uptake of GABA. GABA is your kind of brain's calming, what we call the inhibitory neurotransmitter. It helps reduce that neuro excitation. And CBD blocks the body from, or blocks enzymes from breaking down GABA. So it allows GABA to last longer in your brain, giving you a more of a calming effect. Well, I'll take that, right? Mm -hmm. And then it works at a number of other places, but really what I have found it to be most beneficial for in my practice, apart from its anti-inflammatory effects is mood. I have lots of patients who report that it is tremendous for anxiety in reducing anxiety. Um, and so um, in, let's say, teenagers that come to my practice with 
anxiety, if CBG, I'm sorry, CBD is not tremendously helpful or you have to have a high dose, sometimes combining CBD and CBG together um, can be very helpful. And dosing can range from very low, like one or two milligrams all the way up to, I think the highest I have anybody at is about um, 60 milligrams a day. It's not, it doesn't appear that you need hundreds of milligrams. I did have a, I heard of, a, a, it's not my patient, but a young man with Tourette syndrome who said CBG at around 40 milligrams a day completely eliminated his tics and his Tourette syndrome symptoms. Wow. Yeah. Promise. And then the, isn't that interesting? And then one of oh, the yeah. other things that CBG has been found to do is um, it inhibits um, the buildup of, um, or I should say it inhibits um, certain cells that are uh, skin cells that are a part of the um, uh, psoriasis um, process. So if you know about psoriasis, mm -hmm. you can get these crazy red plaques on your skin and it's a built like an overgrowth. Yeah. And CBG, uh, I've used it topically in patients with psoriasis, but also orally with some uh, seeing some improvement. What's interesting is that a lot of people with psoriasis also suffer with anxiety. And it's like the chicken or the egg. Is it, I think it's a vicious cycle that the anxiety aggravates the psoriasis, which aggravates the anxiety and goes on. Mm. Um, and they have found some benefits. So CBG and, and remember, Apart from CBD and THC, most of these compounds are under-researched. Mm -hmm. We still don't know what they all, what, oh, what all of them do. Including CBD and THC. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say, but they're at least somewhat researched so that we mm -hmm. can make these statements that yes, CBD reduces seizures. Now, I don't have to worry about that I'm like overreaching. I know that mm -hmm. this, is, this is now well-documented in the medical community. And that's why it bothers me that neurologists don't want to... Um, acknowledge that. I don't, if we packaged it up and called it something different and sold it through a pharmaceutical company, they would embrace it. So, Oof, right. For sure. Um, could I ask about THCA? Would you, sure. would you, if you were on THC and THCA, would you, would you combine the milligrams per kilogram of weight Oh. overall and treat it as a THC product. If you get it, do you know what I mean? The THC. I do. I know what you mean. I do not use weight-based calculations for THC and THCA until I see how a child responds. So if I get to a good place, then I'll calculate so that at least if the child's gaining weight, we can keep up with the dosing. Right. But right as of now, there is no known researched, documented, or proven milligram per kilo per day for THC or THCA. So it is truly the standard start low and titrate up slowly to find what works for your child. And again, remember people can be at different ends of the response. I mean, again, you can respond to very low doses. Maybe you absorb better. Maybe you just mm -hmm. respond better. Maybe your endocannabinoid system isn't in such bad shape and it's doing a little bit better with just a little augmentation. Versus somebody at the other end who needs very high dose, maybe they don't, they need to overcome that by bio, poor bioavailability, or they have rapid metabolism and the compounds don't last very long in their body because their body breaks them down, or their endocannabinoid system is in a different state and is not in a very uh, good place. And it just takes more medicine to help get it up and running again. So um, with Really, CBD is the only one at this point that I use weight-based calculations for because we have evidence for that. But with everything else, I just start low and titrate up. 
And do you know the THCA? Would it warm in the gut and then warm to a point right. where it no. converts? There's, no, there's no evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with CBDA. The THCA um, needs quite, it needs to be pretty hot as well for it to decarboxylate. That's exactly right. And humans do not have our temperatures not hot enough to do that. However, mm -hmm. sitting, there's an old report. If you left a bottle of THCA sitting out at room temperature, and I think the temperature was in the 70s, that um, it did degrade over, well, I don't want to make sure I, I get it right. Um, I haven't looked at it in a while, but if it, it does degrade, like over 10 days, it degraded. However, there's a more recent report on THCA as an anticonvulsant. Again, I'll include that one in the list. And I think it came out in 20 or 21 that showed that it went from 99% THCA to 91% THCA during the time that during their study. And I'm sorry, I don't remember, but it wasn't a very long time, but also, yeah. you know, it wasn't ages. But what's interesting is that um, it didn't, I'll just share with you, I do not see loss of effect from a product that's been um, like sitting in the refrigerator for a month. I just don't see it. The parents are using that bottle. I do recommend that anything that's in its raw form is kept in the refrigerator in a bottle that is, um, you know, either a blue bottle or an amber bottle so that light does not reach it or just wrap it up. I tell people just throw some aluminum foil around it and leave it in the refrigerator or in a, even in a container in the refrigerator. So that something that's blocking the light, because remember every time you open and close your refrigerator, or take it out, it's going to be exposed. I just clinically have not found any loss of effect because somebody left the bottle you know, out for half a day. Now you wouldn't want to leave it sitting in your car on a hot day. You certainly aren't mm -hmm. going to leave it sitting in the sun in your kitchen. If the sun comes in and is, you know, baking that bottle, of course you're going to change it much more rapidly, but it doesn't appear to be as unstable as has been claimed. Um, but again, you know, when you're looking at, you know, um, science, you, you kind of want to know that what's in there is going to be the same day to day. But in general, it doesn't seem to be that unstable. And I will share with you that in Israel, they've created a product that is a CBDA with a added chemical stabilizer. And that's what they're using in their studies because they want to be able to study what the CBDA do. Remember, if I'm studying THCA in animals or in humans, and there's a little bit of THC in there, which then also, let's say, increases over time as let's say the study subject is using the product. How can I attribute the effects to THCA when there's still when there may be THC in there? And remember, there may be some overlap in the anti-inflammatory, whatever else. So it's hard to study one particular compound when it converts to another um, easily. So mm -hmm. that's why, but again, clinically, I don't find it to be a problem. The one problem I found with THCA is that some of the products out there just have too much THC in them. So you really can't ramp up the dose. So I like the 20 to one, 20 parts THCA to one part THC or higher to start with. So if it's like a one-to-one, -one, I don't use that because mm. it's too much THC for that you know, to be able to ramp up to a significant dose. Mm -hmm. Ours is um, 20 milligrams per mil. Well, no, THCA. it's just 20, 20 parts THCA to one part 
THC, whatever the mm. milligram per ml is. So remember ratio and concentration are different because you can have 20 milligram of THCA in a bottle with one milligram of THC, that's 20 to one, but you could also have 40 milligrams of THCA with two milligrams of THC. That's also right, 20 to one. Mm -hmm. So the ratio just means that there's gonna be a lot lower THC relative to the THCA. Yeah. And I explain that in my book, so in depth. So if you wanna look, I, there's actually things that says ratio and concentration, and this is the difference. I've got both of your books. <laughs> yeah, so it's in there. I do see another thing here. So somebody wrote new member, Billy Bonds. Um, Mitch's vocabulary has gone from 20 words to 100. I mean, hallelujah, right? Mm -hmm. And having two to three word sentences to 10 words plus during time on cannabis, he said to be nonverbal is just common effect with autism. Yes, I see uh, many of my pediatric patients with autism who are nonverbal starting to speak. CBG. Uh, enhances that effect in some patients. About one third of patients with autism when CBG was introduced had a improvement in their speech. And always the question is, is it direct causal effect or is it not as just an association? It's always hard to know. But when you're talking about a child who's nonverbal going to verbal, I kind of don't care. It's, mm -hmm. I'd like to know as a scientist what's helping, but my goodness, to have a child to be able to, to communicate that who could not before is a tremendous benefit. And, and you might see that in a child who has a seizure disorder, if you can get the seizures to be controlled, but that's not something that a lot of parents have said is, oh yeah, my child's on pharmaceuticals and learn to speak. I just don't hear that, but I do hear it with cannabis. Mm -hmm. It's so complex, isn't it? So yeah, complex it's complex and it's just, it's, it's, we say it all the time. It's just, it's, it boils the blood when mm -hmm. there is so much evidence out there that cannabis yeah. can help so, yeah. so much. We see yeah. it all ourselves. We hear the stories, but yet the governments of the worlds. And, and that's the point is why, why hold on to all the old and not move forward if you can help, yeah. even if we help one child, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I don't get as just a human being who tries to come from a place of compassion for these families that are suffering and for this child that's suffering. If I deny you a medicine that might help your child, what am I really doing? Am I saving you from your stupid mistake? How mm. many <laughs> anecdotal stories will finally tip you into, okay, it is safe. These kids are doing well. I mean, I've been doing this now with pediatric patients since 2013, right? So almost 10 years, but with people in general since 2008. And like I said, I'm fairly conservative. I would not continue to recommend if I felt that I was harming. The reports I get, if I could show you the videos and reports, you can't, and, and, and again, my colleagues in South America, in Canada, in Germany, in other places in Greece are reporting the same results. This is not something that only I'm finding. Mm -hmm. And when you see it in other geographic locations where we're not necessarily, maybe people are reading my book or whatever, but whatever cannabis that they're using and finding to be helpful, I'm not influencing that. that that's, it, it, it's, it's because it's true. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. It's not coincidence. Um, and, but that is the point of research is to show that the results that we're seeing in these patients 
is not due to a placebo effect. And that's been shown with CBD. In fact, the study came out that showed that it's clear cut that CBD is not a placebo effect in, in, in most cases or in, in when they reviewed, I think six or eight or 11 um, articles and they went and looked at uh, CBD versus placebo, it was clear cut that CBD uh, worked better than placebo with a statistically significant um, finding, which means that it is not by chance. And that, and I understand the need for physicians to want to have that. We have that now. So now it's time to embrace it and to learn and look at it as just another drug. Mm-hmm. Here in the UK, they want to run randomized controlled trials here. Mm-hmm. Um, when to me, we've already, there has been already been trials. So why? Yes, it's done. Do more? It's done. That's right. Yeah. And, and. Remember, how long does that take? So yeah. I'm involved, my research, we started four years ago and we just published our paper, okay? Wow. So, and of course, COVID delayed a lot. Um, but she but, said the word, she said the word. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, you can't help, but that did slow us down in our research. So let's even say best case scenario, two years. How many, so in two years, there's over um, 700 days for a child to have a hundred seizures, yep. how many more seizures, how many more brain cells are we losing in that child? Uh, I just, I just don't, I don't understand the lack of, of humanitarian and compassionate perspective. I just, yeah. I don't get it. And it, it, I understand that you want to have rigid science, but ultimately right now for patients who are having daily seizures, despite the best that allopathic medicine can offer, you must think out of the box. And if you had the chance to do what I did, so in, in, in 2011, I stepped away from my practice and I uh, was doing some educational stuff. And apparently, apparently it was too early in the cannabis industry. Nobody wanted to embrace it, but I had a chance to sit and read all of the research that had come out about cannabis, good and bad, you know, up, up to that date, starting mm-hmm. back in the day and working through it. And the one thing that you will come across if you bother to sit and just say, I'm going to read anything that's related to human clinical trials based on cannabis, whether it's THC, CBD, or anything else, the one thing you will come across, side effects are mild for the most part. And in those patients who have moderate or severe, when you discontinue treatment, which you can do immediately, this, all of it resolves. There are no irreversible problems. There is a drug on the market for seizures called Felbamate that has an irreversible, shut down your bone marrow, give you a disease called aplastic anemia for which there's a 25% mortality, meaning one in four will die. The fuck? Okay, and parents in the United States have to sign a document stating that they understand this risk and they are not going to sue. Whoa. Now, in a world where that exists, you're going to tell me that CBD is not safe. You're going to tell me that CBD is not, should not be something that you might want to try before you give your child aplastic anemia. I just find it, Joanne, you're shaking your head. Are you familiar with that? They were were giving my son chloral hydrate, which isn't even for his seizures when he was having hundreds, as well as the cannabis, you know, the epidiolex and other medicines that he was on. 
And they actually state in there that it did nothing. He, he didn't even go to sleep. It, he just continued having seizures. So I was saying, well, what is the point in this? You'd need to flatten him now with some phenobarbitone, stop him from having these seizures immediately. And um, it just... They if you're just... willing to try that, if you're willing to, quote, throw that at a patient, why wouldn't you throw them some natural, some plant <laughs> that has some benefit that's been proven to have benefits? Yeah, it exactly. Is, it is. It makes me so sad. Years ago, a, a neurologist reached out to me through, I guess, a connection and said, we have a young lady in the ICU and she's likely going to die. She's in a, a, a we, she's in an induced coma to try to stop the seizures and so on. We think we're going to try CBD because if not, she's going to die. <sighs> and I thought there is no reason that we should have gotten to this point. Now you're worried mm -hmm. about giving her CBD. My goodness. Mm. And ultimately they did not give her CBD and she did pass away. And it's just heartbreaking to me. That is somebody's child. Yeah. And, but, and that could have been resolved by just even trying the cannabinoids. Uh, just try yes. it and 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 even if it's 50 50 it's better than than zero right mm -hmm. i mean we 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 know that it that there is a response rate to cbd and in addition antioxidant neuroprotective anti-inflammatory and i think something i wanted to say earlier even if cbd like i have some patients who cbd did not turn out to help their child it didn't make the seizures worse, but it wasn't anything, you know, wonderful, maybe mm. a little bit of benefit here or sleeping a little bit better, whatever. And I, I always say, if the child's going to have ongoing seizures and I might be reaching here, but this is what I would do for my child is I would include CBD at least a little bit as a neuroprotectant, antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Mm. There's no reason not to, the child has ongoing seizures. Maybe I can protect part of that brain. What's the downside? A few bucks out of my wallet, big deal. Mm. but I know I'm not going to harm the child. These children who have tried CBD and it hasn't worked for them. If you tried different cannabinoids and see if that made a difference. Yes. And oh. there seems to be a small percentage of the population that just does not respond. And this is um, something that I'm hoping to sort out with the research I'm doing on biomarkers, mm. uh, which will help us identify various biochemical pathways in the body. And, you know, potentially there is, something there in the endocannabinoid system pathways, or is it an absorption issue? Is it a metabolism issue? Um, and one thing it certainly could be, remember that CBD has been identified to work what we call the mechanism of action, how it works in the body, right? So we know that it helps make the natural endocannabinoid called anandamide. It helps anandamide lasts longer, right? And I mentioned yeah. that CBG helps GABA last longer. So we know that those, that's what we call mechanism of action. How does it do that? Well, it blocks the enzyme that breaks those down. Um, with CBD, it's a little more complex. But anyway, what we have found is that cannabinoids and phytocannabinoids, plant cannabinoids in general, have multiple targets in the brain and body, which makes it non-selective. Remember, pharmaceuticals are designed, they found the spot where, gee, I want to help, you know, um, my pay, uh, uh, research shows that if I hit this receptor, then I get this outcome. So they design a drug to fit into that receptor, right? Mm -hmm. With cannabis, if CBD is targeting 65 or more different places in the brain and body, we might be seeing benefits at one area, but we might be also getting 
effects that we don't want because of the fact that it's not selective. It go, mm -hmm. It's called a promiscuous molecule, meaning it hits a lot of different targets. And that may be why some people do not do well. It's hitting tar unwanted targets. Mm. And that is for sure like a downside to cannabis medicine. I don't think that that's the majority of people. I just, but certainly there, I have come across patients for whom we have tried everything and I have to have the conversation on the first one to tell the parent, if it's not working, do not waste your money on it. You know, we can circle back around to hit me up in a year or two years to see if there's anything new, but mm. I don't, if your child's not getting the desired result, why would you spend money on it? Go in search of other things that might help your child. Right. Yeah. And I'm, luckily I haven't had to have that conversation with too many parents, but I have had that conversation. And the reality is we don't know why some people don't respond. I, years and years ago, when I was treating adults, I had a, a ex um, law enforcement officer who had some like on the work accident of some sort. And she just had tremendous pain and gosh, she just had the oddest response to every cannabinoid. It just, she would take something, would take six hours to kick in. Well, that's not going to work. And she's sitting for six mm -hmm. hours in pain. And then when it did work, it hung around for so long that she was sleep too sleepy. I mean, she just had the oddest metabolism. That's the kind of person who might benefit from either looking at genetics or looking at biomarkers to see if we can figure out why her body responds in that way. Mm. Um, we're not really there yet, but again, it's not, it fixes everybody for everything all the time, but certainly it's a great tool in the toolbox, especially for children who have not responded to the currently available treatments. Do you find that the children that have done well, they continue to do well even when they reach into adulthood? Uh, yes, in those patients of mine who were, who were responders, let's say in their late teens, and I'm still following them. So the longest patient I have that would be considered kind of a pediatric patient on cannabis, um, uh, who was in that age group is um, continued to have greater than 99% reduction. Again, the, only the rare occasional breakthrough, usually either because he forgot his medicine, which is going to trigger a seizure, mm -hmm. or uh, he's having a particularly, like his dog died and he was just beside him. It was a dog that was with him for many years, just beside himself. And he had a breakthrough yeah, yeah. seizure kind of thing and, you mm -hmm. know, various little things, but um you know, this was uh, a patient that was supposed to have brain surgery to remove a piece of his brain. And luckily, yeah. you know, before they decided to do the surgery, they did decide to try cannabis and they got a tremendous result. And so and he's still on pharmaceuticals, but we've been able to wean down, I think from either four to three or from, um, uh, trying to think three to two, um, and you know what, we're happy. He's happy. He has a good life. We're not messing with it right now. So, you know, and again, that's the thing is when you've been to hell, if you can get to that sweet spot where, you know, as much as I say that all these si the side effects of the pharmaceuticals are unbearable, if, if you're at a sweet, a sweet place, there's no reason to be so aggressive to wean somebody off everything. Mm. No, I let, I let the parents dictate that it's their choice because they're the ones living it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think we're just not listened to very well in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a few of the 
parents that have said that the if they run out of them the you know they can't afford the medicine anymore privately then um the neurologist and the nhs have said that they'll give them like a palliative care really yeah um, well and and I, I think when I was talking with Matt or, or one of those from the MedCan support group, um, somewhere along the line, somebody asked me, do you think it's, isn't it unethical to recommend a treatment that the parents can't afford? And I said, no, it's unethical that the treatment that might benefit the child is unaffordable. Yeah, that's definitely That's right. what's unethical, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're yeah. going to, whether I recommend it or not, <laughs> it's not unethical. What's unethical is that Here's a medicine, a valid medicine that might help a child who's suffering and a family who's suffering. And we're saying, well, I'm not going to recommend it because you can't afford it anyway. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, My that's goodness. crazy talk. But, uh, upside down, right? That's not just me, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're completely in the right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I have tried very hard to help some patients in with very rare diseases where the child just has no options whatsoever. Diseases, rare conditions like in other countries. And, and I've said, let, if you can access it, let's just try it to see because there's no harm. Mm. And, you know, I've run into this Ireland, um, UK, New Zealand, and so on, where the authorities are just, you know, they're threatening to take the children away. And I just do not get it. I don't understand why, no. why we want to make life worse for these people. I, again, I don't think, um, and, and if COVID, I won't say the word, but if the last two years have not given us any perspective on how life can change on a dime, right? Mm. Um, uh, ultimately, we all end up in the same place. And if something could help somebody that is safe, I just, I just don't get the attachment to denying it. Big farmers got their uh, big farm mafia is what our Billy Barnes yeah. here calls them. It, says, it's cruel. It's mm -hmm. just cruel. It is. Yeah, very. <laughs> very. Anything else that you want to talk about? Well, I don't know if you still have time to. I'm sure we can. I we have, have more questions. I have, nine, I have nine minutes. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, Billy Bonds. Uh, no, we'll go for Ballista's question here. He says, any advice for carers of autistic young adults on approaching parents about Canna? Um, I'm not sure I understand. You mean to, if you are helping to take care of a child and you want to bring it up to the parents of that child? Maybe if you have friends yeah. who have an autistic oh, sure. child, how right. would you approach and say, have you sure. tried giving your child some cannabis? Right. So again, <laughs> right. That's again, that goes back to here is what I found online. This is in a prestigious journal. It's rigorous research. You might want to read this and you hand them the article or you send them mm -hmm. the link and you say, read about this. Not just because I think that always at the beginning, it has to start with education. And remember all journal articles kind of follow a very similar, um, either it's re individual research or it's what we call like a meta-analysis or a review of the research. And so, um, for instance, somebody asked me the other day, you know, who, who wanted my opinion on stem cell therapy for their child with autism. And I said, well, I haven't looked at the research in a while. Let's let me look at it and let we'll have a discussion. So I looked up the latest from like 2018 forward till 2022. Mm -hmm. What does the literature say? And sure enough, there is some evidence 
that there are benefits, not in every patient, but in some patients, and there's lots of different kinds of stem cell therapy. And it broke a couple of articles, broke it down. I send that to the, you know, send it to the patient with, this is what this article says. This is what this article says. You have to start somewhere. Mm. If something says that there is no benefit, then I would say that to the family, don't waste your money on it. There's no benefit, but certainly Mm -hmm. the evidence now for CBD is almost like too many articles out there. So you would just, and it's like, so autism, the the only real trials, there's one from um, South America that I mentioned. And then there's, um, I think three from Israel, there might be more now where they took kids with very severe autism and they gave them, you know, mostly CBD dominant um, products with some little added THC in some of them. And again, like I said, there was very high rate of satisfaction over 70, 75% of families wanted to continue when the study was done. That's pretty good. You know, Mm. when here in the United States for the FDA to pass a drug through, you only need to see a 30% efficacy. So when you're talking about 70% plus of patients that want to continue on treatment, it's more than double what the FDA is, will pass through. That tells me something that it's extraordinary. It's beyond above and beyond this very low bar that we have for pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you want to show that to somebody and just say, here, this is the latest science. Take a look at it and, you know, see if this is something that you might consider if you're struggling with your child. And that would be the only way to do it. That's all you can do, yeah. you know, is to, to just bring them. You can't, it, it's very hard to say, oh, a, a, although for some families who are really struggling, if you heard, oh, you know, my other friend whose child has similar to your child is doing great on cannabis, that might be enough for someone to trigger mm. their interest. But for some people who are still operating under all that propaganda that we were fed, mm-hmm it can be a scary proposition. It's their child. And so again, producing the latest research. And by the way, you know, there was some study years ago that showed that it takes 17 years for the research to trickle down to the clinician. That's That's a child. That's a child's Mm. lifetime. Mm. Not a child after 17 years. Yep. That's why it behooves parents, caregivers, anybody to say to a doctor, I know you may not know about this, Here's the articles. Maybe we, you know, I'd like to plan a time where if you could read this and give me your expert opinion, right? Because mm-hmm. basically what you're saying is, can you educate yourself on this with the latest and greatest? Because neurologists are busy looking at other stuff. Cancer doctors are busy looking at other stuff. They're not looking at the latest data on cannabis. I'm doing that, but I'm not looking at the latest on how to treat lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to remember that many doctors have not kept up with this research. Hmm. Well, I'll send you my um, email address in, on LinkedIn if you could send me the some of the data so I can absolutely. pass it Absolutely, yep. and you can awesome. pass it on, awesome. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that would well, be fantastic, thank you. Yeah, well, we should let you go then, Dr. Goldstein. Thank you very much again for coming to visit us and answer some questions from all the listeners. I'm sure everybody here has had lots of their questions answered and got great answers from, from you, you know. It's a lot of knowledge. Right. And well, and you're welcome and I'm happy to do it. I'm hopefully my project for this year, uh, the kind of top of my priority list is to start putting all of this into YouTube videos um, that are just free to everybody because um, I realize that um, it just needs to be out there. That's Mm -hmm. it. So Mm -hmm. that's what my goal is to do. I, 
I'm um, working on getting somebody who knows how to do that because I don't. Um, and then where I'm just going to start banging out some videos to be able to just like, you know, not overwhelm anybody with hours long, but, you know, lots of the various topics like one on tolerance, one on reverse tolerance, um, on each cannabinoid on various conditions and dosing ratios, you know, concentration, try to explain all of that. So it's like a little mini, um, educational program that awesome. you don't have to pay for. Well, when that's done and it's up and running, you have your channel. Let us know. We'll get all of our subscribe as many subscribers as we can to go over and subscribe to your channel as well. Yes, be absolutely. Epic videos, we can, no doubt. Yep. Yep. We'll put it out there. All right, Joanne, good luck to you and good luck Thank to all you. the families that are listening. I, I'm with you and I hope that I've been able to help you and, and I'll send along all those articles so that you can um, uh, start reading and start sharing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you as always, Dr. Hey, everybody. Bye. Bye. So as you heard, loads of great information in that interview. Uh, Thank you again to Dr. Goldstein for taking the time to come and speak to us. Super cool. We massively appreciate it. And I'm sure lots of the listeners out there also appreciate it because there's a lot of information they're going to find useful. So thank you again, Dr. Goldstein, for joining us. And of course, thank you to Joanne for taking the time out to join us too. If you have any questions at all, head over to PersusGrowRoom.com, sign up and post in the forum. We're always happy to help with the knowledge that we have. But that's about it for this week. Uh, On Friday, there'll be the Grow Guides, which is all about making your own edibles. So make sure you tune in for that episode because there's some great recipes, great ideas on how you can make the best edibles. You know, it doesn't taste too much of weed and it still gets you really high correctly dosed nice tasty food so come and join us on friday for that one and you can download all the episodes on all the major podcasting networks itunes spotify deezer google podcasts we're on all of them if we're not on a particular one uh, let us know and i'll get us on it thank you to you for being here and downloading the show and being a listener it would be awesome if you could share this show with any of your friends who might find the information in it useful that would be sweet but for now we'll catch you on friday for the next episode see you then goodbye